Welcome to Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, an FRP podcast hosted by me, Rebecca Byrne Callender. In this seven-part series, we speak to experts and business leaders from across the UK to identify and analyse the issues facing the UK business community in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. This week, we are talking about the future of restructuring. The pandemic has proven a catalyst for change in so many sectors, and the insolvency industry is no exception. Today, we'll talk about the implications of some of these changes for UK business owners and share advice for those who are struggling right now. I'm joined today by a brilliant and very wise panel. Phil Reynolds is a restructuring specialist at FRP with more than 20 years experience helping to bring organisations back from the brink. We are also joined by FRP's Alan Kelly, a turnaround expert who's been steering organisations out of danger for 25 years. Carolyn Daly is founder of Creative Entrepreneurs, a movement that helps creative people turn their ideas into successful businesses. The arts are really suffering right now, so she'll talk us through the experiences of the business owners across that industry. Rob Turner is an insolvency and restructuring expert in the corporate team at Brabners. He is our legal whiz today and will be guiding us through some of the technical detail. Thank you all so much for joining me. I'd like to start by looking at some of the actual stats. So we saw a tenfold increase in insolvencies way back in April. So that was right at the start of lockdown. Presumably that was just the beginning. Um, Phil, what's in store for the rest of the year? What, what trends are you seeing in terms of the insolvencies? Well, so on, on that point, um, effectively some government actions have actually restricted the amount of insolvencies that can happen at the moment. So we, there's basically a pause on mainly liquidations. Our kind of house view at the moment is pressures building and that when some of the government support starts to cease, that's when we will start seeing an increase in insolvencies, just when businesses run out of room to manoeuvre. So obviously the reaction has been to change some of the rules around insolvency to try and save as many businesses as possible. Presumably this gives business owners a lot more breathing space and a bit of confidence that they're going to be given the time and the legal framework to try and get themselves out of a financial hole. Yeah, and I think um, any changes to the law which helps promote rescue culture is quite exciting. And I'm, I've no doubt Phil will agree with me here as a, as a turnaround and, and restructuring specialist, because the more tools we have in our box, the, the, the larger number of companies we can save or we can do things with to um, to help preserve them in some shape or form. Um, one of the things Rob mentioned there in terms of... Um, some of the, uh, the the provisions the government's actually put in place here, which is uh, effectively the, the landlords delaying and things like that in terms of the rent payments. Um, the danger we've possibly got coming out, coming out of this in, is what Phil was saying is um, there's a danger, there's a domino effect. So as one business starts to be pushed, um, it causes other businesses to cascade. But some of the things which the government have actually put in place here, like the restructuring plan, the moratorium, should actually give us a better opportunity to try to protect these businesses, to preserve them, to go forward. Mm. And the rescue package won't work in isolation. I mean, because as, as Phil pointed out, business leaders are going to have to be amazing communicators. They're going to have to stay in contact with all of their stakeholders in order to make sure this can be managed because they're going to be they might be late with something. They might they might need to do a, a skill swap or, or leverage a different asset to make something work. Phil, can you talk me through some of the things that, that, that business owners who are under pressure, some of the people they need to be speaking to, some of the actions they need to be taking? Yes, well, natural human reaction when you're under pressure is either to hide from the problem or be kind of aggressive and fight. 
So it's very much trying to step away from that and realise that you need to be open and honest with your stakeholders. Everybody appreciates we're in a very, very unusual situation here. And the best thing to do is have that open and honest communication. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult and people panic, think that um, you know, people are at badly, but it's a lot better to be open. A lot of the work we do, myself and Alan, is almost act like kind of marriage guidance counsellors or <laughs> in between. Because really what we're trying to do is make people realise that they're, they're prejudging what the response will be. Mm. Um, I mean, the government, for example, has been very positive um, in the main. Um, say I just dealt with Carluccio's um, in that one. Most of the landlords were very responsive and flexible. They want to keep a tenant. You know, if you hide from the problem and just don't pay, then people will think the worst. If you have that communication, you can start moving towards hopefully a consensual solution. Um, your suppliers want to keep a customer. You know, your customers want to keep you as a supplier. Um, and if you think on, say, the art sector, especially like Karen looks at, you know, the wider societal benefits of, of your operations. You know, I do quite a lot of work in the charity not for profit sector. You know, you know, they want to protect their frontline services, but, mm. you know, they will need to get cooperation from all the other parties to make that work. So. A lot of what we do is that getting the communication lines flowing, making sure the information is there and that people have got a stable platform to build a plan on. Um, if we go back to one of Rob's points that he mentioned with obviously the wrongful trading rules being a, a kind of way for a period, this is to allow businesses to take a little bit more of a gamble that the, the business will come back. I think the main takeaway is, you know, if you have an issue, it's to be open and honest at the moment. And actually, you're probably pushing more an open door than you ever have been. Absolutely. And actually, that point about not putting your head in the sand. Um, Carolyn, when it comes to creative entrepreneurs, often their passion isn't the building of the business. It's that they are creating something amazing or beautiful or entertaining they're artists so they're not always the most natural business owners they're not they haven't done an MBA do you feel like this advice is maybe particularly relevant for them right now completely 100% that's the whole reason um, for creating creative entrepreneurs is exactly what you just described creative people think in sort of the opposite order as typical entrepreneurs they are driven by their idea that they need to get out into the world. And so they don't tend to have business training or business backgrounds. And so it's absolutely crucial, especially, I mean, in, in normal days, the business side tends to be a challenge for them. And that's what we really want to help everyone with, with the right learning and networks and things. But in times like these, where there's a crisis, where even the most accomplished entrepreneur who's who has an MBA isn't quite sure what to do. Um, very, very important to get this kind of advice and information out to the creative sector. I mean, it also doesn't come naturally. Creative people aren't sort of the natural negotiators, knowing how to drive a hard bargain or the best bargain that you can for yourself, et cetera. So I think all of this advice around open communication and also just understanding the landscape because it isn't their, their typical landscape. So everything feels saying, you know, understanding what the interests of everybody is in the supply chain, that they don't want to lose suppliers and customers and all that kind of stuff, I think is even more valuable to, to, to get out to the creative sector because they, they lack so much of that information. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Rob, I'd like to bring you in here because we've seen some interesting trends in terms of the kind of the revival of the pre-pack. Um, we talked earlier about about many high profile CVAs. What are the trends that you're seeing? Um, I mean, for example, that the, the pre-pack issue. I mean, is, is, is this the way the world is going? Are we looking at a lot of light touch speedy insolvencies coming through? What, what does the future hold? Well, a, a pre-pack administration is, um, is is essentially where um, a, a business is sold in administration as a going concern mm. uh, immediately on the administrator being appointed. So the um, the administrator's work is essentially front ended. They do a lot of work before the uh, the company actually drops into administration. So all the marketing and the like uh, takes place before it actually goes into administration. So his- historically, in the early 2000s up to perhaps 2005 2006 there were an awful lot of pre-packs they were uh, supported largely by the government uh, and the enterprise act and the rescue culture at that at that time during that time there there was quite a lot of criticism they were seen as being susceptible to abuse Mm. uh, because the marketing of the business was necessarily limited and it often resulted in a in a sale of the business back back to the management um, but I think um, we're probably coming full full circle now, potentially. So pre-packs are a useful tool for an administrator to have in their in their armour. They, they can't always trade a business on. They need funding. And uh, the, the, the work in a trading on is uh, quite sort of time and cost intensive. So it's a useful tool to have. And I think with the rescue culture coming back back in, I think that pre-packs will be seen uh, more, more and more over the coming sort of months but is the benefit of the pre-pack also that it minimizes the disruption to the trading and to the customers so often these things can kind of happen and everyone who buys that service or that product is almost none the wiser unless they read the business press and it saves jobs i mean there there are a level of sort of che- checks and balances that have been put in place since so there are, there are a number of checks and balances and, and principally um it's, it's the job of the administrator to ensure that the creditors creditors are protected going forward so so there, there probably is some abuse out there but I would say that more often than not it's actually a good thing it's a good thing for employees it's potentially a good thing for creditors it's obviously a good thing for the business and, and for the and for the directors mm-hmm. so uh, in the right circumstances a, a, a prepack is a a good thing for the economy CVAs are, are, are an interesting one. Obviously, they're being used more and more, particularly in, a, in, in, in sort of retail. That I think they will continue to be to be used because obviously retail is is sort of hardest hit at the moment. Mm. Uh, the, the interesting question is what effect CVAs are having on the creditors of those companies, and in particular, uh, landlords and commercial landlords who are being forced to cram down their rent. So, so CVAs can actually sort of control or reduce the amount of rent that's paid by the company in CVA up to its landlord. And that could potentially have, you know, sort of really sort of quite profound effects on the uh, on, on commercial landlords and institutional landlords. It pushes the pain away from the business that's suffering, but then someone always has to feel it somewhere down the line. You're basically just spreading it elsewhere, um, which is tricky because, you know, you, you don't know what the impact might be on that other business or that other organisation. It's, it's a balancing act. It's always a balancing act and it's very difficult to find the right point of balance. And playing devil's advocate here, I mean, we're talking about the rate of insolvencies that are likely the pinch points later in the year. But is there a chance that the UK will emerge 
yes, there will be sad, there'll be casualties that we, we will, businesses will miss. And it's been incredibly distressing for a lot of people. But could the economy emerge leaner and possibly even more productive? Um, Alan, what do you think? I've seen businesses becoming a lot more agile. So the way that they've already started to adapt, to change, to respond, um, they're becoming much more quicker uh, in terms of how they're actually reacting to some of these things. Um, so we've seen things like um, restaurants t- going to takeaways, going to home dining packs and things like that. Um, businesses moving online, which Caroline's just said. Um, things like distilleries moving gin to hand wash. So I do think there'll be opportunities out there. Um, part of this is about corporate renewal. Unfortunately, there will be some failures. There's probably not an awful lot we can do to prevent business from, or some businesses from failing somewhere along the line, but that'll give opportunities to other businesses to, to grow and indeed for people to actually come through, start up themselves to try to take a business forward and, and develop something in possibly a completely different framework to what um, one of the field businesses has actually um, been, been employing. And would you say, Phil, that actually the consumer can end up winning in that scenario? Because although some businesses may fall by the wayside, the new startups that are born will be so focused on customer demand and customer need. And they will have grown up in a completely hostile um, economic environment, which makes for quite interesting businesses. Yeah, I mean, certainly the point, you know, the winners are going to have to understand their customers a lot better and be able to you know, deliver that product or service to their customers more. Um, I mean, if you think broadly in kind of pure economic terms, what happens to the failure is you're putting capital back to other parties, hopefully be able to use it better. So, mm. um, I mean, prior to kind of COVID, there was always quite a lot of talk about zombie companies mm. uh, being businesses that had very heavy debt burdens, but with the benefit of a very low interest rate environment, they could just carry on operating just kind of lurching around not growing not developing you know maybe this is a kind of shock that will kind of kick start those sectors of the economy which are being dragged down and Carolyn, I'd love to ask if, if you've seen from your perspective looking at so many creative businesses have you seen any new interesting startups that have come about maybe specifically because um, other organizations aren't rising to the challenge in that particular sector or, or, or they're responding to a renew or a new or renewed need from customers one of the ones that I think is the most interesting is a is a digital fashion business that in fact they just had a demonstration they've had their first live their first human model um the other day and it <laughs> lets you try on clothes digitally and literally there's the, the woman trying on a few different pieces of their fashion collection and it, it kind of is hard to get your head around because then you're wearing this fashion in a digital world with all of your friends and actually people the idea is that you're buying a dress or you're buying whatever to then participate in a virtual experience and that's where you're going to wear your new your new virtual fashion so there are some very um forward thinking businesses like that coming out of this and i think the whole digital virtual world is going to be very very exciting i mean you already have people who are because of how they were fixed before covid i.e video games they're flourishing because they can do production as opposed to film and TV, which really got hurt because they couldn't do physical production because of social social distancing. Video games are doing great, but taking that one step further, creating whole virtual worlds for all kinds of things. Um, like I said before, for for fashion shows, for runways, um, we'll see what happens. But those are key for marketing fashion. They're starting to create all kinds of new 
engaging virtual worlds. It, it, and I think that's one of the most exciting areas. So, so the rise of digital, the, the explosion of, of virtual worlds, virtual Im- immersion. I'd like to do some more crystal ball gazing and kind of look at what other industries we think are in, in the process of revolution. Alan, through your conversations with business owners, with your colleagues, um, are there any other areas that you are seeing you know, intense and speedy change and, and development? We're starting to see some um, supply chain rationalization. Um, I think what, what what's happened recently is is proven that um, some of the global supply chains, albeit they're probably a lot cheaper, um, they are fraught with risks. So when mm. I, so when China went into lockdown first, that had an impact on on the UK manufacturing side, even though we hadn't really um, gone into uh, any lockdown, any pandemic. So we started to actually experience uh, a downturn in our trade before uh, effectively we 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 um we were hit somewhat um so it'd be quite interesting to see how some of these larger businesses now react and and balance that risk the uh, the cost element and whether we start to get some onshoring so in terms of opportunities i can see there being s- some things like that will start to come back on side i think the 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 overall thing will be just how businesses actually do change adapt and and become more agile leaner and and, and whether there's a new normal to, compared to what the old normal was and I suppose following on from that, um, the idea, sorry, Carolyn, you, 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 you're you nodding there. Tell me tell me what your point is about this. Well, and just a crystal ball gazing, I wonder if new models may come up in the creative world. So I spoke a minute ago about the exciting new startups, mainly digital, et cetera, but huge heroes of our culture whose businesses depend on people being packed into venues. I wonder if a new model may come up where government may step in far more for these these institutions that bring so much to all of our lives. And I think on two levels, the government should be interested in this. And, you know, they're not if they can't survive on their donations or ticket sales, what's supposed to happen to these amazing organizations? And I think that, number one, government may rethink that and say, do you know what? We're just going to have to step in on a more permanent basis to to have these run on the basis that of what they do for society as a whole, especially with what we've all gone through, um, but also looking at them as a, as a return on investment. So in a much more calculating economic sense. So how much tourism, uh, every other kind of business that goes on in cities and things that all of these cultural organizations bring to the economy. So I think there may be a rethinking of, of the funding of those. Do you mean just funding or could you could it mean a fundamental almost renationalization or nationalization of some of the treasures in the arts world? Well, that's a scary word. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I in essence, yes. I mean, in essence, just saying, do you know what this is? Think about Britain. Think about how the world views Britain. So much of it is British culture. It's the theatres. It's the British Museum. It's music. It's all these things. And so I can see. A more a, an understanding of the economic but wider societal benefit of having a funding model that will make them sustainable no matter what happens with with future pandemics. Because we we're seeing the government playing that role in such a big way now, and especially with charities. Phil, you mentioned you work a lot with the third sector. We we saw the yeah. government pinpointing various organisations that were doing work to help the most vulnerable during COVID nineteen, and they were actually you know pinpointing them for funding. Is that is that going to be happening a lot more? How how is the charity sector getting through this when so many donations are drying up? 
with, with the charity sector, I mean, over the last 10, 15 years, effectively government has outsourced a lot of its its services to the third sector to perform. So, you know, they're providing key core components of social care all the way through. So, you know, there's there's a big drive. Obviously, now the government's kind of outsourced it. It needs to keep it it moving and going. Um, so really, the, the challenge is probably in that sector, there's probably going back to a point that Carolyn mentioned about the collaboration. Um, I think this is going to be a real driver for the third sector to either a lot more mergers where they're just going to try and get get the the scale to be able to survive and actually be able to still provide the services but take out costs at the back at the back um that's going to be a big effort whether that's going to be more collaborations or whether all the way through to formal mergers we'll have to see how it goes um i'm hoping for one that this will be a step change to try and improve the efficiency in the sector you know and actually deliver the services it needs but try and take out some of the costs that are there um Tracking back to one of your points about the kind of crystal ball gazing, I mean, one mm. of the things I see is particularly use of technology. If you look at, say, fintech, some of the solutions in there, that's going to be very disruptive to the current financial sector, which is obviously quite a, a core component of UK PLC. You know, there's opportunities there when you look at some of the, the work they're doing in artificial intelligence. Um, you know, whole swathes of the, the current workforce could be replaced. You know, so you, you don't need the same people to do these jobs because of the AI will do it for you. You know, so that's that's going to be a big step change. And that's where the agile businesses, ones that adapt quickly, will be able to take that market on. But presumably it takes a fair amount of investment to make that move. So the automation can be a huge kind of money saver later on. But to implement it, to rejig the business. I mean, that's that's quite tricky when you're cash strapped in the short term, right? Yeah, but as, as Alan mentioned, you know, there's still a lot of liquidity. There's a lot of money in the market still, a lot of people looking for opportunities. And if you have something which can disrupt, you know, you should have a big cost advantage over the incumbent competition. So, you know, I think there will be opportunities there. And, you know, we, you know, we just the other day, one of the major PE funds just raised another couple of billion to, a, you know, for a fighting fund to look in opportunities when there's distress when there's stress when there's change that's where people can make a lot of money mm. yeah. and there's always there's always money for good businesses isn't there I mean the idea that that, that you know that, that you can't find finance the fact is if you've got a strong business model if you are a passionate leader you will always be able to find money or I mean or is that is that a slightly naive comment from yeah. me I mean, I think at the moment, I think Alan mentioned, if you went back to like kind of the 2008 recession, there basically you couldn't get funding at all. But, you know, at the moment, you know, the market for funding, you know, it's not just going to your high street lenders anymore. There's a plethora of of of, of funds, uh, debt funds, challenger banks, peer-to-peer lenders, you know, a whole new sector to look at. So there's a lot more opportunities, you know, and a part of our job, a lot of our job is trying to help businesses find the right debt mm. to actually move on you know so uh, the right proportion of debt how it works you know do you need more equity all of those things come into the kind of wider solution but uh at the moment we're seeing a you know a general softening in some of the some of the, the sectors probably you know development construction where mm. maybe some of the lenders are pulling back but you know um when I talk to the main clearers you know they're all saying we're still open for business, we still want to lend, you know, and it's not just the C-bills, 
you know it's across the piece and I'd love to to expand on this because we're, we're kind of touching on the advice for those who um at the helm of businesses who are in distress that are in distress so I mean we've talked a lot about the need to communicate and stay in touch with all your stakeholders communicate regularly we've talked about the need to explore digital options um what 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 else should business leaders be factoring in what should their process be um you know that their doors have been closed they're struggling how can they how can they look at their business plan how can they think about the future to try and and come out of this in 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 the right way uh, alan what what would you what, what advice do you give to the businesses that you're meeting that are in this 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 difficulty well well planning planning is a bit of a challenge still at the moment um mm. just just because we're not sure how quickly the economy is going to bounce back and and, and every sector is going to have different challenges and have to make different assumptions behind that mm. so one of the management teams to me recently when we were when we were trying to help them they said that in terms of looking forward it's like nailing jelly to a wall um, <laughs> because because it is a big challenge for them um but but really they, they need to look at their business overall so like i said like i, th- I think i said earlier it's it's not what might have worked in the past start to look at what the, the wider market's doing um so look at what your operations are what your operations have been but what they actually might have to change for the future look at your customer base has your customer base got any distress um, and also your supply chain as well? Because if something drops out of your supply chain, how do you operate? So mm-hmm. start to map out the risks your business actually has and put in place plans in terms of mitigation behind that. So if something does happen, you've got some mitigation. Um, I think w- one of the things we, we do like to do and, um, and Phil will agree on this is, is, is that back to that engagement with your stakeholders. What they don't want you to be doing is taking a problem to them. They want you to be taking the solution with them. So you've mm. actually thought about what the problem is going to be, but you've got a plan. And whether they don't necessarily agree with that plan, at least you've thought of something. And they'll typically work, try to work with you to get a, a better outcome if they can. And, mm. and I think that's really important in terms of um, in terms of taking your business forward. I think that's brilliant advice because that's that that idea of always having a solution in mind, being constructive, I think can often get lost in the negotiation piece. Carolyn, what about you? What what advice are you giving to to the businesses in your community? Well, I just wanted to touch on a, a key point, I believe, which is talent. Um, there's this massive kind of reshuffle of everything going on right now. Mm. And as you think about your business in the future, how should your business everything Alan just said, you know, what, what, how does it come out of this? How do you flourish in the new normal? Um, Talent, there's so many people who have been displaced, really talented people who have been displaced, people that you might have had collaborated with in the past, or you just know about them and think, gosh, I always thought that was a really talented person. Just kind of, I would encourage people to, to take their blinders off and be very aware that people that you never thought might come available are available. Mm people who have skills you never thought you could see how to use them. Now with your new plans for your new business, you can. So I would really focus on all the talent that's out there and the new needs and and people who can really help you build your new business in the new world. Absolutely. Alan, you've got something to add to that. I can see you. Yeah, yeah. And and, and that's important in terms of back to Phil's point before about, um, about gaining investment. People is a huge thing. A lot of businesses, albeit you've got a good product, you've got um, you, you've got you've got a good growth story and everything else. The people behind it are fundamental to that for any investor coming in. So the right people and bringing the right people on board will be key at the moment as well. 
And that point about talent, I think, is so relevant because there's this, there's this almost myth that when, when there are mass redundancies, that somehow everyone will just be desperate for a job. But actually, there's always a wall for top talent, isn't there? Because they, they always they always find an amazing opportunity that people always want to hire those people and actually Carolyn your point about finding great people keeping an eye out we've also lost a barrier which is you don't need to live near the company you want to work for anymore because we we're in this working from home virtual culture now it's it's amazing it just completely changes everything I mean we even are experiencing that ourselves there used to be this kind of stigma everybody's got together and of course it depends on what kind of business you have but if you have a business where actually you don't all need to be physically together it opens up all kinds of new possibilities and and not even you know somebody who's outside London they could be in LA or Sydney I mean it really is fascinating um and and it also it's a shift that it's obviously going to be very hard for businesses that are about commercial property that are about offices and co-working spaces that's obviously incredibly challenging on the other hand for other businesses it means it takes a whole expense off of your off of your books and you can spend more of that money rather than on office space you can spend it on talent I love that we're seeing the silver linings and I'd, I'd like to continue on that theme. Um, Rob, you were nodding a few times there. But what are the bright points on the horizon that you're excited about that you that you think um, could could bring some hope? Well, I was just thinking about uh, professional services uh, firms like like uh, lawyers and accountants and, and, and the fact that, um, you know, this has brought an opportunity for us to to, to uh, you know sort of seek out clients from further afield and, and to and to work with 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 clients from you know uh, sort of multiple jurisdictions and the like so I think that does bring um, uh, opportunities as well and I suppose that's the point to always remember that with every challenge in times of crisis there is always opportunity although it can be hard to kind of focus on that um so are you are you going forward with cautious optimism phil or are you still very much um waiting to waiting to make a decision on that side (laughs) yeah i mean yeah if you look you know i think the government in broad terms has done what it can to try and kind of hold things together Mm. you know with with a view to hopefully we get a a v-shaped recovery in the economy that effectively there will be this pent-up demand where matters everything's reopened you know people will trade and you know the key thing's confidence you know they you know they're very much trying to keep the the confidence up um and that's the key component if we're going to try and trade out of, of of this issue um i think probably a bit like alan i think my view is we're probably looking at more of a a u-shaped recovery Mm. and the challenge is going to be how long we're at the bottom of that U before Mm. we start coming up because a lot of businesses would have basically burnt through their reserves over the last hundred odd days Mm. you know and it's can they have the support needed to get them through this to be able to start to build up again but our our job only works when there's a market for assets and there's Mm. people wanting to buy businesses Mm. So we can't do our job unless there's an active market. We need people who've got the money, got the ideas and believe that they can turn a business around for us to do our job properly. Um, I think Rob probably mentioned that obviously when he's dealt with his football clubs before that, you know, you always need a, another another buyer to come along to sort out the mess of the last one. So, 
<laughs> that was an interesting point about confidence and it got me thinking about how it's quite hard to be optimistic when we we live in a culture where bad news sells and when you open the business pages it's all about the failures and that's that's what sells papers sells clicks um it must be quite tricky when you're when you're in the advice uh, and you're tr- you're in the advice side and you're trying to to bring some optimism when 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 they're just bad news is everywhere right um alan do you, is that is that one of your jobs then to be almost like a cheerleader we can do this <laughs> it, it it is the we we don't want businesses to fail um the, 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 you get much more satisfaction from your job by actually helping something succeed you restructure something and and you help produce a viable business to take forward and that, that that's really important to us when we're actually going in so we we go in very much with an open mind um, the thing which always amazes me is entrepreneurs are are, are very resilient. Mm-hmm. So they, they they do change, they do adapt, and they do create it, which is which is fantastic. And and the UK has this um, this I think historically we've had this huge culture of, of developing and creating ideas right through from the industrial revolution to the present day. So. Longer term, we'll be okay. I do think we'll have a, some some rough times, uh, and some people will have some very rough times um, over the next um, one or two years. Um, but I think a lot of that's going to depend on on how confident the consumers and the people are of doing things again as well, um, or or how the government's actually going to uh, encourage and promote confidence back into um, into the general populace. Yeah, that's such a good point. There are so many unknowns right now. And if any of those unknowns are resolved in the next couple of weeks or couple of months, the picture could change dramatically. Um, so how how wedded is, is everyone on this podcast to kind of watching the news and, and trying to align themselves to to whatever is is going on? in the world vaccines or or government um ha- government money um or is it more about just doing what you can with what you've got right now we were all so shocked when this this all first happened but i think now i've found a really healthy balance which is sort of keep in touch with key things that you need to know about like i'm not watching every news conference i'm not watching every I'm kind of keeping up every day on developments, but not sort of letting it run life. So I think it's kind of getting familiar with what kinds of pieces of information you really need to know and shutting out the rest of the clutter. That's great advice. Guys, I think that's a good place to stop. I feel like we've we've talked through the future of restructuring and we've talked about everything that anyone facing insolvency rights now needs to know. So thank you for bringing all your wisdom and advice and insight. It's been wonderful talking to you all. And thanks so much. Next time on Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, we'll continue to discuss insolvencies, more specifically, the rise of the light touch administration in pressure sectors, including retail and dining. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the next episode to be automatically downloaded to your phone.